And let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak through what Paul is saying to those Christians in Corinth all those years ago. Father, we pray that your words might speak and that we might be changed people to become more like Jesus. Amen. You might like to uh, turn in your Bibles to page 1162 because we're in a series of sermons in the second book of Corinthians. And within this book we see that Paul, the author, is defending himself from accusations and criticisms made by some members of that church. But he writes in love to the members. You will see this in chapter 8, verse 7, where he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. And so in this passage we have in front of us this morning, we see that Paul defends himself and protects himself from criticism in the way that he administrates this passage of a gift of money from one church to another. And I believe that there are lessons for each one of us this morning from that. Of course, we live in an age, don't we, like other ages, where it's really important that we as Christ's followers and members of the church stay above malpractice and corruption. Because what we do as followers of Christ reflects on Jesus himself. And if we fall, then Jesus' reputation is affected. Because it seems that hardly a week goes by where there's no account in the papers or on the TV or on the internet that someone in the public eye who appears not to have been truthful about the way they have acquired money or used money for their own gain. Recently, of course, in, in, in our country, we've had the whole issue of MPs' expenses and the way that some seem to think that the public should maintain their lifestyles. And only last week, it came up again where we heard of that MP in Essex who was put before the courts, accused of misclaiming expenses and now has been found guilty on that account. So perhaps it's good for us all to hear again of Jesus' standards for those that want to follow him. Remember, Jesus calls us to worship him, to follow him in all that we do. And that, of course, includes our skills, our time, our money, the way we live our lives. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the standards that Paul sets the followers of Jesus. Now, this passage we've got in front of us is just a small section of a much larger passage concerning giving. And Paul is writing in love to the fellow believers in Corinth. We see this in chapters 7 and 8. He loves these believers and wants what's best for them. He is proud of them. And now he urges them to be generous to the church in Jerusalem, just as Jesus is generous. 
He compares how Jesus, who was with God in all his richness, was prepared to give up all. So those that were poor on earth, in spiritual terms, might receive salvation and richness through the death on the cross of Jesus. And now he compares this situation to them. And he calls them to be generous. He calls them to be generous in what they have, and by implication to us too. Now, of course, generosity is a state of mind. It's a state of mind in which we don't hang on to what we have, but are willing to give up all for others so that they can receive the gift of God, of salvation. Remember, Jesus said, love your enemies as you love yourself. And this act of generosity will come from love, love for one another. And I wonder, do we love like this? Jesus doesn't call all of us to be equal in terms of the goods on the earth we have, but he does call us to be prepared to give to others so that they can receive from Jesus. Now, of course, this gifting will take several forms. It will be our time, our skills, our efforts, as well as our finances. Being prepared to see the need to do something about something. Being prepared to see the real situation with regard to what is real worthy and important. Now, we've seen this recently in our church when we gave money to Claude Scott so that the pastors in the Congo could receive those Bible commentaries and receive training. It was a real gift of love, wasn't it? It it created a relationship. It was a gift of love that set up a link, a reciprocal relationship between those pastors in the Congo, which appear many thousands of miles away, and us here. And similarly, we see the same in this passage with the church in Jerusalem. The gift would involve the people of Jerusalem as well as the church that gave it. And it would be an encouragement and a support to them. Now, as I said, this passage that we have in front of us is just a part of the wider message of this 2 Corinthians book. And so we see, if you go back to chapter 8, look in verses 8 to 10, three principles that Paul brings to their attention concerning giving. And before we get on to the actual passage this morning, I think we just need to note them down. Firstly, in verse 11, the willingness to give enthusiastically is more important than the amount given. Remember, God sees the heart and the mind. Secondly, in verse 11 again, you should strive, Paul says, to fulfill your financial commitments. In other words, to finish off what you have begun. And then thirdly, in verse 14, to give to others in need because they in their turn will help you when you are in need. In other words, this reciprocal relationship. And so Paul lays down these principles of giving in these verses before he moves on to verse 16 of chapter 8 right through to chapter 9, verse 5 where he puts this into practice. Now, Paul is going to be involved in taking a substantial gift of money to the church of Jerusalem from the other churches. And Paul shows wisdom, common sense, and an awareness of the dangers involved. So let's have a look at this in a bit more detail. I've got three main points that comes from the way he does this. The first is this. The gift in itself is a large gift, and it's an offering. Look at verses 19 and 20. 
It says it's a liberal gift. This means that in their age, it must have been quite a large gift of great importance. And this comes from their brothers, who are in another church, geographically separate from Jerusalem. And it's held as an offering. This means that it's a gift that is dedicated to God. So the implications are that it's even more important. There's a great need to look after it. And it's good for us to remember that our gifts, whatever they are, whether that be in time, in money, or in uh, skills, are an offering to God. They're a part of our worship of him. There is much worship as is singing and praying. And not just a gift to a worthy cause. And that's the reason why, in our church, we bring the gifts up to the front for prayer in the service. Because it's an offering to God. And I think that helps us if we bear that in mind to see how important the gifts are. But secondly, we see the work of delivering the gift is shared out. We see this in this passage that Paul is involved, yes, he's going there, but also Titus and the brother. And we see the work of God happening here. Because we read in verse 16 that Paul states that it is God who has put it into Titus' heart to go and visit them. Now, the journey, of course, may well have been difficult and dangerous, probably taken on a donkey or by walking, because only the very rich would have rode horses, and there were certainly no cars or railways or aeroplanes. No, the journey would have taken time and effort. It would have been a hot, dusty road, and probably they would have been subject to the danger of robbers and thieves. But we see in verse 16 that Titus, despite this, is going to take the journey with enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we see here that God is involved. But not only do we meet Titus here, we see God at work through the choice of the other brother. Look at verse 18. Paul is sending with Titus the brother who was praised by the churches, chosen by the churches to accompany Paul on the journey. This brother then had the backing of the churches through whom God was working. This brother represented the churches from which the gift comes. And clearly, this is important to Paul because it justifies his choice of the brother to accompany the gift. And so we see here the importance of God in the decisions of who administrates these gifts. And again, isn't this an important principle for us? That God must be involved in the administration of the gifts. We must seek God's will about who uses the gifts. But thirdly, we see the integrity of handling the money within the church. We see here the reason for Titus and the brothers being sent to Jerusalem. They were to be witnesses to the fact that Paul administrated this gift fairly and without favour. And Paul appeals to them that he wishes to administer this gift in the correct ways, in the eyes of God and of man. In other words, Paul is stating that God and man will see the way that he's working with the gift, but that Titus and the brothers will also be witnessing to the event. And again, I think this is fair warning to us, isn't it? 
we as Christian brothers and sisters together must be seen to be honest, fair, and above board in all that we do with the money of the church. We need to remember that the money we use comes from others who give gifts to God's work. We only administer it. The money is God's money. It's not our money. So we need to be above board with little and great. And we need to be sure that we are following God's will for it. Remember, all that we do should bring honour to Jesus and to God. That's the real call to witness. That's the real call to purity and clarity. It reminds me, I have to say, of the sad occasions when we hear the opposite. When we hear of a Christian leader who's fallen into corruption or sexual sin. It's on the, in the news, it's in the papers. Not only does it hurt and damage the individual involved, it damages their families, but it brings a terrible witness to the family of God and to Jesus himself. And in the same way, corruption and malpractice in the use of money, stealing the silver, if you like, damages the church and Jesus himself. And so in this passage, we read that Paul takes the effort to be sure that there'll be no critics of the way that he administrates this gift. Let us practically pray for all those who administer gifts given by people for God's work in our church. And especially for those that work at a distance, who work at abroad. Because it seems to me, having been involved in one mission organisation which works in Africa, there's tremendous scope for malpractice. The people, the more people that are involved, the greater the distances, the greater numbers of links, the more opportunities there are for waste and bad practice. The group that we've been involved in, Mission Direct, takes tremendous efforts to ensure that the money goes to where it should. But there is a great deal of corruption in many of the places that they have to work in. So what about this church then in Corinth? What does Paul actually say to them about their attitudes? Well, if you look in chapter 9, verse 1, Paul is certain that these Christians in Corinth want to help the Christians in Jerusalem. They're eager to do so. But just to reassure himself, he is sending the brothers ahead of him to make sure that they have fully collected the gift, ready for his arrival. And so we see that Paul has confidence but realism in his expectation of these believers. Look at verse 3. And their help included giving. And this has led others who saw this to give as well. In other words, their actions of giving encouraged others to act in the same way. I want us to encourage each one of us this morning to be involved in giving, giving to God's work, which of course can take place in many ways practical actions as well as financial. Wouldn't it be great if we were known in Norwich like this other church was for how much we give to support the saints in need in our world? I wonder what the effects of this would have on us as a congregation and other churches in Norwich and Norfolk if, that we, if they heard that we had given until we had no more left to give. It might encourage others to give. But you might say, Nigel, why should this be our aim? Well, as Christians, we believe that all the money we have comes from God. And we have it from God to help others to spread the good news of Jesus. 
And that may include helping in practical ways as well. Not being reliant upon our own efforts for security. One of the challenges for us here at Trinity is, do we actually know the needs of other Christians in other parts of the world? We've prayed for other parts of the world this morning. Do we know the needs of other Christian churches in other parts of the world? And if we do, are we prepared to give to those in need? Are we willing to give up time and effort to pray for them? Are we not only willing to give up time and effort to pray for them, but are we willing to get involved with them? Are we willing to get into a relationship with them, to visit them, to provide gifts of skills, practical work of building, of helping nursing those in danger, of providing teaching and preaching? There's so much need out there, isn't there? And we are part of the one body, one church that's seeking to follow Jesus. But not only could we give, we could build relationships with them. Because in doing so, we would gain much. We would be challenged by their joy and their practical faith and encouraged as we become involved in the growth of God's kingdom. And that, of course, was what was happening between this church in Jerusalem and the churches that were giving. But lastly, in our passage this morning, we see something of the attitude. Look in chapter 9, verse 5. We see Paul's instruction in concerning the attitude of the giver. God is not looking for a grudging giver. He doesn't say here, or in any other passage, that God will only accept a large gift, that you have to give a certain amount to please him. No, what Jesus is concerned about is the attitude of the heart. He's concerned about the attitude I have towards money, gifts and time. Am I prepared to give up all for him? Am I prepared to give up my security to him? Our security today in our society is often based upon providing for ourselves. Well, Jesus shows a very different attitude. He doesn't value those gifts which are given with a tight fist. No, he wants a generous giver because Jesus gave up his place in heaven and was killed unjustly and separated from his father for us. That's true generosity. That's expecting nothing back. And that's the model that we have to follow if we want to be disciples of him. So there should be no problems then with gifts for the saints in need. Let's encourage one another in giving. Let's encourage each other as a church to look for ways in which we can support other families of God whether that be in our county, our city here in Norwich, our country, or further abroad. Remember, the churches supported the young church in Jerusalem, and we too can support other churches. Amen.